but you also have to like figure out what it is you think will give you that fulfilling life which is what i think is the harder thing to another episode of origami brain my name is kalechi wankwala and i'm here with chris um, the boy the one and only mm-hmm. um and this is our our sixth episode episode right? number six yeah Episode number six um it's gonna be a great one six is a great number um is it yeah i the mean i don't remember yeah but and i think that was birthday soon so <laughs> But the devil was the first angel, was he not? Like, I don't know. There, there's, there's definitely some interesting things about the devil, but that's not what this episode is about. We should talk about the devil, maybe. We talked about God, so, like, I feel like maybe we have to... to balance it out. Exactly. Um, yeah, but this one we're going to be talking about individual versus institutional responsibility. Yeah. Um, I don't know why, me. but, like, this topic reminds me of, like, separating the art from the artist which is something we should talk about. It'd be a great conversation, but that's not what we're talking about now. I recently watched this movie on Netflix. It's called The Trial of the Chicago Seven, mm. by, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. And I, excuse me, did not like it. Um, I thought that it was it had like very straightforward political messaging with absolutely no nuance. Mm -hmm. And it saw politics as an entirely aesthetic thing Mm -hmm. and not as something with like material consequences um, Mm -hmm. and impacts on people. And I feel like it kind of relates to the distinction between thinking of individuals and institutions because you can switch people out of institutions but if you don't change the institution fundamentally it'll still carry out most of the same consequences i think to an extent you're right like an institution has its own kind of memory right so like when you switch people out in different positions it depending on who you switch you haven't you haven't really changed what's going on but i also think like it depends on who you switch, right? The argument could be made, like the same argument could be made about the United States, right? Like if you switch the president, does that actually change the nature of the entire institution of the United States, right? And to some degree, it doesn't. Like some things stay the same, but to some degree, other thing, things do change. I mean, it depends on who you ask. I guess it's, to me, it's kind of, it is like a, a Theseus ship type problem, you know, like where, like when you have a ship and if you replace one part, only one part, it doesn't really change. But if you replace the next part, 
has it really changed yet? Or if you could replace 10 parts, like at what point does it become a new ship? That kind of question. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if I have an answer for that, but I feel like at some point it must become a new ship or. Yeah, if the institution or if the ship has flaws and mm -hmm. you switch out parts, but those you don't switch out parts in those flaws, the flaws are always gonna be there and mm -hmm. that's gonna like fuck you up forever. So you're saying that like when it comes to institutions, it's not just about, you can't just replace anything if you want to actually change, it has to be targeted, right? Like the yeah. things that you change have to be targeted. I feel like it might be easier if we think of an example. Let's say like the, the Catholic church, right? Right? There, there's, you might say there is a group of bad eggs within the Catholic church, right? And so people, you might wonder, like some, some people might say like, okay, it's just the case that there are bad eggs within the Catholic church who are abusing the way that the Catholic church works. If we took those bad eggs out of the system, everything would be fine. That's what some people would say. Or some other people would say like, no, it's about the way that we go about doing things that allow people who have these inclinations to take advantage of the system. And it will continue to happen because there will always be people with these inclinations within the system. Is the problem with the people or is the problem with the way the system is currently designed? The context within which I've been thinking about this lately has been like the election. Obviously Trump is a problem. Like, I don't think like Trump is the only problem. I think like all of the problems that existed before allowed for Trump to actually like take, like to actually like run for president and become president. Like it wasn't, it wasn't random. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think even if Trump loses this election, Biden becomes president, someone else will come after Trump who's either equally as bad or worse than Trump because none of the like pre-existing issues that were going on in this country before were actually resolved, especially because like Biden just wants to um, like bring back like the status quo, whatever that means. So I guess only time will tell which is right. Like I've always, I've always been scared about the fact that like after Donald Trump's tenure, whether it be at the end of this month or, you know, four years afterwards, I feel like he's done so much to change the way the office is used. Um, and he's kind of exposed so many holes that I think it's kind of been fundamentally changed. And I'm more scared of somebody who's maybe more disciplined and smarter than Trump taking yeah. advantage of what of what he's done like a real politician <laughs> yeah, like somebody a little bit more nefarious i don't know that that scares me yeah on the other hand like i like i think we still disagree to the point of like where where the resol like where the resolution is if that makes sense like mm -hmm. i think the reason trump is able to the reason trump was able to do what he's done so far is because there are obviously problems with the system but those problems are manifested or they also have human correlates you know what i mean like like they don't it's not that it's not no it's not like there's nobody who's who perpetrates those things you know what i mean like gerrymandering is perpetrated by actual people there are people who are actually following the incentives right yeah but and those so, people who are taking advantage of like the systems in place how things work like they're fine like they're intentionally looking for holes and things to manipulate so that they can achieve their own political ends mm -hmm like even if like it's people on their 
own, like it's people kind of taking their own initiative to do that. Mm -hmm. Those people will always kind of be present. So it's the role of the system to not allow for those things to happen. Okay. So you're saying, which I guess is a pretty cynical outlook, but no, I don't think it's out. It's super cynical to think that people will always will follow the incentives that the system gives them, right? Yeah. Like, if I'm playing a chess game and I can take your your queen, I'm not going to not take your queen, yeah. Unless I have a reason not to. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, you can ask yourself to play by. There's a moral element involved beyond like a chess game. Well, I mean, but can you, you can't expect everybody else to play by the, your own moral, your own moral rules, right? Yeah, exactly. Or at least when you're planning the system, like you can hold yourself to that own standard and you probably should hold yourself to that standard. But like, I think like if you're talking about an institution that's going to survive way longer than you in particular will, like you have to assume that people will do the right thing. I mean, like that's the whole, the whole point of rules is to enforce moral standards too. Like mm -hmm. there's a reason our... Maybe not totally, but like things are considered cheating when they break the rules, right? Like, mm -hmm. and cheating is morally wrong. Well, not all the time, but yeah, I see what you're saying. You don't think cheating is morally wrong? Not all the time, no. Like when? I think you, like, I think it's okay to like cheat on tests. Like, I don't see what's morally wrong about that because it's like a, yeah, I, I don't see what's what? <laughs> because uh yeah, yeah. I mean Wait. like why why do you think it's morally wrong? Well, I feel like for one, at least in my school, before we like take tests, we sign an agreement to say that we won't cheat on it. I feel like I don't know, lie, lying to me just seems like in general break break breaking of agreements without like I guess a prior uh, uh, justified reason to me seems morally wrong, right? Just because people need to know that when you when you agree to do something that you are, are actually going to do it. Like society just doesn't function otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I would say like on the basis of that, like it makes sense to have it so that somebody's word actually means something. Yeah, but the stakes are a bit different, I would say. And also like, I don't know, like a lot of like what we do is kind of predicated on just like doing what we can to get ahead and so much of grades whether we like want them to or not like matter a lot mm -hmm. so and like good grades can get you a lot of places so like mm -hmm. people feel like they need those grades even if they feel like they're qualified or they can do whatever they need to regardless of the grades they get they still recognize the value in them and it's not like people kind of do it out of like this strong interest to be as competitive as possible mm -hmm. in a competitive society where like cutting corners is like the standard well i mean i think you're assuming that cutting corners is a standard how do you know that's true Cutting corners oh, yeah. is legal in a lot of ways. Yeah, but I thought the whole point of conversation is that it shouldn't be, right? Or like if we fix those systematic stuff that like people wouldn't be incentivized to do it anymore. But you have to be pragmatic about what the realities are. Really? So like I should be, when I sit down to my test, I should be like, everyone's going to cheat, so I should cheat? That's what's, That's what I should do? Yeah. 
I don't know, man. I feel like I have to disagree with you. <laughs> I mean, for one, like, it's like, I think the the example that's coming to my mind right now, I'm thinking about, like, being a cyclist in, like, the Olympics in, like, the 80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, when everyone's doping, all that stuff. Are you saying, like, in that, that's obviously a highly competitive situation where the standard is pretty much cutting corners. Um are you saying in that situation, those people were justified in doing that or that it was moral for somebody to do that? I don't think it's moral or immoral. Um, but yeah, I think that they're justified. I think they're justified? Well, what do you mean by justified? I mean, anyone can have a reason. Everyone always has reasons for all the things that they do. When yeah. we say something's moral, we're saying they have the right reason or the reason is good enough and it makes sense to us. And so you're saying that you think that reason is good enough to, that you would make a similar decision in such a situation? Maybe. Don't you kind of, don't you kind of um, destroy the integrity of the situation if you cheat? If you cheat, right? Isn't cheating kind of just kill, kill the, kill the fun, kill the game? I don't think it kills, kills the game. But it does kill the game. Kill the it totally kills the game. It I, makes things unfair. Yeah, but things might be unfair to begin with if mm-hmm. you're not. Like, the, yeah, things just might be unfair to begin with. I mean, nobody, everybody comes into, like, their educational institutions at different levels and positions. Nothing is even. Um, <laughs> so I just don't think that it's valid to, like, say that. Well, just because it's unfair to the be- in, just because it's unfair in the beginning doesn't mean that you should take actions which might make it more unfair. I'm saying cheating makes things more unfair. But what if you're at a disadvantage to begin with? If you're at a disadvantage to begin with, I still think you have to consider the I, the fact that when you universalize your own action, it doesn't make things as a whole more fair. And I think at the same time, like you're still introducing an aspect of inequity to the situation and you're making the test an, an arbiter of something that it wasn't trying to be before. I agree that there were like there's inequities inherent in the system and in the way like education works and that's not fair, that's not good. But I think those should be addressed other ways than students taking that into their own hands. From an institutional aspect. The institution should like whereas the in, I don't think individuals should be taking there I think there are steps before that you get to that point where you can try to rectify things. Yeah, so I guess there's a difference between like what should be done, like ideal, like ideal. Yeah, what should be done ideally and like how people should behave in reality or not even should, but like what's okay for people. Yeah, what's okay in reality. Why is there a difference between what's okay in reality and what people should do? Well, not, I mean like if, if things were even ideally, like if we're, if things were ideal in the real world, people would have no reason to cheat. And I think that, I guess what the argument I'm trying to make is that sometimes it's okay for people to cheat, not all the time, but like sometimes it is. And in what situation is, is it okay for somebody to cheat? I don't know if like the stakes are very high for them or like it's very 
kind of, I guess, their future success is contingent on something. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the exact, like, qualifications so, are. But I think, I feel like the thing you, I don't want to say you might be missing, but the thing that's not being accounted for here is the way cheating might not just affect yourself, but affect other people down the line. And I'm not just talking about other students. I'm talking about um, other people who think you are qualified when you're no longer qualified, mm -hmm. right? Like if you cheat, there's a, a chance that you don't actually know what you were supposed to know, that that, important, that information was vital. Yeah, but I mean, the same thing could be said, like, I mean, like, there's a counter to all of this, like, because like, you could just be memorizing shit and then forgetting it the next day. But I think like, what I'm trying to say is that not, not that it is not that it's necessarily like necessarily okay to cheat, but that our society and like the conditions um, in which we kind of work um, and like our individualized like culture, I think encourages cheating. I think that's making it kind of get at. So you're saying it's not okay. so like the norms, the norms validate cheating. Okay. But how do you feel about it personally? Well, our people are pressured to do as well as they can. And for people, oftentimes as well as they can means like cutting corners and cheating. Hmm. Well, I feel like it's one thing to acknowledge norms, but that doesn't, knowing that the norm is a particular thing that doesn't make something right to me. I don't yeah, well, like I'm saying, I'm not saying, what I was trying to say is that the culture itself makes it okay, but that doesn't mean like from an objective standpoint, it is okay. Well, what about from your standpoint? From my standpoint? I like don't, yeah. I like personally don't care that much if someone cheats. But that doesn't mean it's okay. But I don't have like the wherewithal to like think about that. I also like don't take tests. So like cheating isn't like really a concern for me. Well, it's plagiarizing. Yeah, but it's easy to get caught plagiarizing. Hmm. I've never like I've never tried to plagiarize before. I mean, does this does this tie into the the institution versus individual thing we were trying to talk about before? Because I feel like it's another example of one. I mean, how are you not going to be able to talk about how individual actions affect the world, affect like a society when they are committed on aggregate? Um, sorry, how are you going to ignore that situation or ignore that? Like, I feel like that's the only way to talk about what in the end the institution ends up being, right? Well, no, because I think the institution itself is so, I mean, like it's the background, right? So that's kind of what's informing the decisions we make. I think that's, that's the point I think I'm trying to make because we're making decisions based on the information that we have and the, yeah, the context of which we're- When you're saying that the institution is the context within which people are making their decisions, mm -hmm. Are you thinking about one particular conglomerate institution? Or are you like, because people pass through multiple institutions like all the time, right? Throughout yeah. their days. Yeah. Um, and 
each institution has a different set of priorities, um, different policies surrounding the way that you can get around. Like it might be true that while you're within a particular institution, um, the context of that institution is influencing your decisions. But the very fact that we know that that institution is one of many gives us freedom in our approach, even if we're a little bit influenced. The way I see it is that most, okay, so let me talk about an a work experience I had a few years ago where I was working at like this fast casual Mexican restaurant and we had like every single day, like a two hour long dinner rush. And like, mm -hmm. it was like line out the door, like trying to get like as many burritos and quesadillas and all that shit made as fast as possible. You like the more time I spent, the more, the more time I spent there, the more I like found different ways to like do things quicker, to be more productive and to like put out as fast as I could or as efficiently as I could. And mm -hmm. I think that because of the, the greater system of capitalism under which we operate, like we're always looking for efficiency and productivity and that manifests mm -hmm. itself differently in different institutions. But I think the end goal is the same. Um, mm -hmm. And I think productivity looks differently in different institutions. Like in education, mm -hmm. I think productivity is like doing the best work that you can in the, in the way that is like most conducive for you. Like you want to get like the best grade you can get um, and in a way that like causes the least amount of like struggle or pain or mm -hmm. like pressure on yourself. So that's kind of what I mean. That was a good analogy. Then I'm wondering like, is there any hope of people changing that? Because the way you make it sound is that it really is this like overarching institution that encompasses all the other institutions just like the idea of productivity or just like gen in general capitalism. Do we have any levers, any switches, anything that, that changes that? I don't think so, no. <laughs> you don't think so? Yeah. Well, okay, like just to stretch your analogy farther, like can we quit? Can we, can we quit the job? Can we be like, fuck this Mexican place? I don't wanna, I don't wanna work here, like. Yeah, I mean, well, then I don't have money. And I have to get a job at another place where I'm doing the same thing. Okay, but what about when you go home, right? You're, you're not making burritos as fast as you can when you go home. Yeah, I'm off the clock. Well, exactly, right? I feel like that, is there not an analogous situation where we are not beholden to the idea of productivity, like just within our own times? Yeah, I think, well, I think we are, but... Um, it kind of that I think goes down more to like an individual level how you internalize your situations like like there are definitely people who like kind of always feel pressure to be productive and then there are mm -hmm. other people who are like okay let yeah. me just do, like do me like <laughs> it definitely mm -hmm. I think that's where it becomes like an individual kind of prerogative type of thing um, but mm -hmm. even then that's informed by 
how you like interpret various aspects of your life, right? And I think that only some people are afforded that. Um, like, I think that in and of itself is a privilege. Yeah, the luxury to be able to like kind of to have clock out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I wonder to whether there's an extent to which productivity like holds the seed for its own destruction within itself. Like, I, I don't wanna get too esoteric about it, but I feel like in in a situation like you described, um, like it's not just the people at the, or like the people working the actual food and preparing the food who want you guys to be more productive. Like it's the people at the top too, right? So it's not just, they don't just care about how fast you make the food, they care about like the profit itself. Yeah. I feel like, and eventually they might choose like to just not hire workers and have like some like a more like productive method or something like that in order to do stuff. Um, and I'm wondering if those kinds of changes, those like bigger, large scale changes might be a little bit what we're looking for because those are the times when perhaps the new priorities can be set depending on what those people, those people who are instigating the changes care about. What exactly do you mean? Um, well, I think let's just take a moment to like kind of map what we the 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 ground that we've passed on so far, mm -hmm. right? So we've been talking about institutional versus individual responsibility, um, and you've been saying there are a lot of or I I kind of posited this idea that there are a lot of different institutions that are in our lives, um, and I said since we are kind of able to choose between these institutions. Shouldn't that give us a little bit of freedom within, like, as we make our choices, even within their context? Mm -hmm. You said, okay, agreed. But within the overarching framework, there's this, just the idea of productivity. Um, and that's something that kind of permeates every single institution. And I, again, agreed. But then now what I'm thinking, okay, this is good. Um, now what I'm thinking is that because productivity takes different forms within in each institution, even though like at its base, you can probably call it like, um, like worship of productivity. Sometimes when these productivities actually manifest within institutions, they come, they produce conflicting um, results, right? So like productivity with, like you said, like productivity within the educational sphere um, manifests as being able to like, um, I guess pr produce certain amounts of work um, or like certain produce like learning produce certain amounts of work like under the least under the least like harm to yourself mm -hmm. but the work that that produces can also even if it's like the work that produces can also have like uh, consequences for the way political structures are formulated right like people who are productive political scientists will produce theory new theories about how to make like society more democratic some of them at least right or people who are productive writers and productive thinkers will end up talking about why being slaves to productivity is not such a good thing right yeah. even as they are trying to be productive themselves mm -hmm. so what i'm saying is even though pr productivity um can cause people causes people to do a lot of things productivity can also cause people to realize how unuseful productivity is and also and like so in essence be the seed for its own destruction but who has the power to do that um because i think and this is where my cynicism, I should stop using that word to describe myself, but this is where my skepticism 
comes in thinking mm-hmm. about, I don't know, like people who reap the largest benefits from productivity are like, mm-hmm. like have like a pretty um, strong interest in the maintenance of the worship of productivity or the continuation of the worship of productivity. So, yeah, that makes me skeptical about like that ideal that you're describing. That seems kind of utopian to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, they they obviously have a vested interest in like maintaining the worship of productivity, but we have a vested interest in not maintaining it, right? We I do. feel like that like there's two sides to the story. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it ends up being like, okay, who would win in that fight? Like who's going to I mean, who's going to win in that fight? And that's the, that's a long story. That's a story that's been going on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um but the good news is it's still going on, right? And I feel like don't call it until it's actually done. Yeah. That brings like a whole other like conversation into the frame of view. But <laughs> I guess you gotta be positive about like kind of that possibility, mm. but we could also just end up in like, not like actually, but like a brave new world type of situation where like productivity is like the only value because like it just keeps yeah. on accelerating and accelerating. Like I feel like we have it, maybe like we're at a, a point right now, like mm-hmm. a tipping point or a breaking point but like up mm-hmm. until now, like it's been like increasing productivity in the trage- trajectory. Yeah, like continued extraction, continued efficiency. But climate yeah. change a lot of that. But so when you, like what, is there like something specifically about like kind of the institution versus the individual that you wanted to talk about? Like a specific institution you were thinking about? Was interested in this topic well it's claire who recommended us to talk about this topic <laughs> shout out to claire but you know we've we've kind of mentioned it so far in our podcast or we've like hinted at it we talked about it with like the meat industry a little bit i'm not sure what other else we talked about but that's like the one that comes to mind right now you know like should the consumer make the choice or should the industry change how they're doing things so it i think it definitely is something that um i think about often whenever there's a situation where I encounter other or like an established way of doing things or just like, I mean, there's a lot of things like that. There are a lot of powerful institutions in my life. Um, and so that aren't doing things that are doing things in a way that I don't necessarily agree with. So it's always going to be a question of like, to what battles am I going to pick and how should I choose what battles am I going to pick? You know? Yeah. So I guess like there are, like you can make, like kind of incremental changes to an institution or like focus on like things on an individual level, mm-hmm. but it depends on, um, and it's all, it depends on A, like the institution you're thinking about and B, kind of the change you seek. Like, for example, like, I don't know, like I hate to like bring up the election again, but I feel like that's like the big like one to think about. Um, like there are people who like all the change they want is for like is to not have Donald Trump as president again. They don't really care who's president because 
like beyond Trump because like the outcomes don't like deeply affect them as they do others. Mm -hmm. And that's like, okay with them. Um, but then there are others who kind of see changes that need to be made to the structure as like kind of necessary for mm -hmm. them to see like actual changes in their life. So yeah. to them, they don't see voting as like a materially beneficial action. But it really, I think that like kind of really depends on the, um, like talking about like the importance of in, uh, institution versus individual depends on the interests of one person. So then it comes down to like how we should be thinking about it. Should we be thinking about it from like the standpoint of like the individual, like kind of what we, the outcomes we see for ourselves or the outcomes we see for the collective. And then I think like that informs whether or not you see the institution as more, the institution or the individual as more important. I think it kind of comes down to like the individualist versus the collectivist. So those two people will have a different view on whether or not the role is on the individual or the institution? Yeah. Um, and the collective, so the collectivist will think it's the, what will the collectivist think? I'm not totally sure I follow. The collectivist would think the institution. And the individuals will think that the individual. Okay. Why is that? Because the individualist is kind of looking at like um, consequences for themselves as an individual or for like one person. Mm -hmm. And the collectivist is looking at how the collective community or society as a whole um, needs to kind of improve or change or um, what is looking at like kind of what issues are affecting them from like the holistic standpoint. I wonder if we really disagree but to the extent that I thought. I don't think we disagree as much as you think we do. Like, I think so far my, my emphasis on the individual has just been the fact, has just been the idea that the individual, like the individual needs to act first before institutional changes happen, I think is my idea. I think ultimately institutional changes need to be, need to happen um, and be cemented. But I feel like institutional changes usually don't precede individual changes, at least in my mind. Well, institutional changes come from a collection of individuals forming some sort of movement, organizing in some way. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that as like an individual thing. Oh, you don't? Yeah. Oh, okay. I would still, I would have still called that an individual thing, but that's, okay, that's interesting to know that that's the way you're talking about it. So when you're saying individual change or individual, you're talking about somebody just doing like a small action, like a small change that's the only affects yeah, them. Like me going vegetarian, but mm -hmm. then not like advocating for animal rights with mm -hmm. other people. Other people. Operating with others to, with some sort of goal in mind. Okay. So the difference is, so what would you call like organizing with other people like that? That's not an individual action, but that's not institutional action either, is it? Well, the objective is to 
make some sort of change within the institution. Oh, okay. I feel like, oh, I feel like I really do agree with you now. <laughs> yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, so when it's an individual change, it's just like when one person makes a change without making sure that their their change is for posterity or that change their change like continues afterwards. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So now I feel like I totally switched sides. <laughs> or, <laughs> I mean, your, your your beliefs change just like the frame of reference. Yeah, just the frame of reference. Because I feel like you, yeah, you definitely need to have the the system controlling your incentives or not controlling your incentives. But guiding people who otherwise would be doing the wrong thing from doing from doing what they would be doing otherwise. Mm -hmm. I think I mean, we've we've talked about capitalism a little bit so far, but I feel like that that has to be what we end up talking about because that's the biggest system, and that's the one where people really do disagree whether or not capitalism is systemically or like by, in its bones, you know, racist, sexist, exploitative, or if it can just be regulated to death and become a tame <laughs> or something. I don't know. You know, that, that dog, you muzzle up and you're like, it's fine. It doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering what you think about that. Um, I mean, I think it's inherently exploitative um, mm -hmm. as a system. It's based, it's like, in, it's predicated on the um, capitalizing of like whatever resources you have, whether it be like land, labor, all of that stuff, mm -hmm. or like, the profit of few it's not like a it's not um i don't know like when it's like kind of unregulated it like produces like bad outcomes for a lot of people especially on like a global scale yeah of course unregulated i think we, it's not hard to be of the opinion that um like in that situation it does it i mean it's terrible like you could take whatever, whatever is going on with it in this country right now. Like, in this country, yeah, exactly. I think like plutocracy is not cool. Um, <laughs> even though plutocracy sounds like a cool name, plutocracy is not cool. Um, yeah, um, but I, I think I I go back and forth on. I I don't like what's happening in this country, but I go back and forth whether or not I think like the nature of capitalism is to be exploitative. And I know that kind of, that's like an unpopular opinion, but I think I have two reasons, I have two reasons for holding this opinion that might just be idiosyncratic. You know what I mean? Like, I think for one, like I've been talking this entire podcast about how I don't even believe in the nature of things, right? And I've been saying that again and again, and I feel like the more I say it, the more I believe it too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I feel like, um, at the end of the day, like names for things are just names, you know, sometimes things are not the same. We keep calling them the same thing. And so like, I don't believe that capitalism as it is now or in many of its iterations that we've seen is working for people. And I think in, um, in every iteration we've seen so far, it's been oppressive and exploitative. I do hold out hope that regulated within a certain way or uh, like with certain constraints, it could become more equitable and no longer have to hinge on exploitation. I guess the question remains at that point is, is sorry? Exploitation. <laughs> okay, that this is like, this might be not founded well or not well-founded, but ever there was when Elizabeth Warren was running for, um, <laughs> I was running for president. She literally, I, forget, I was like reading her policy page and there was this one anecdote she had 
that made me like so hopeful. I've never been this hopeful about capitalism before. Um, and that's why I think like, well, even though I love, sorry. Okay, so she was talking about how, you know, she really believes that good policy can make um, like capitalism work. Um, and she kind of, she gave this anecdote. She's like, the, the capitalism I believe in is the capitalism where two people have something that neither of them really wants, you know, like, or maybe, maybe not something that neither of them really wants, but something that neither of them needs. Uh-huh. They trade it with each other and boom, like that value is created. You know what I mean? Like, because one person has something they didn't have before that they needed. The other person has something they didn't have before that they needed. Uh-huh. And the ability to create value where there was no value before through connectivity and through trade, I think is, that's that's magic. That's like alchemy, right? That's cool as shit. Um, and that's not something that I want to lose in a different society, the ability to create value through, through connection. Um, and to think like, I think it makes sense that obviously you have to be careful about the way re- resources are allocated in order to make like trade like that continue to happen. Mm-hmm. But ever since listening to her talk about that, and it's a very small thing, I've kind of kept it near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Mm. You seem unconvinced. Yeah. <laughs> very, uh, I don't know, like, the, re- the reality is, is that it's not like one person has one thing, one has another. One person has a lot of things and they mm-hmm. determine what they give to the other. Mm-hmm. Wow. They, uh, what like the little bit, they give a little bit of what they have to the other while the other gives them proportionally a lot more of what they have to, to the person who has a lot. Um, and I don't know if that can necessarily be, like, resolved. You don't think that can be resolved at all? I don't think so. You don't think so? Well, if it's a problem with the system, right, then you just throw the system away, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's where it gets complicated, right? Because when mm-hmm. you throw the system away, like, people, like, are, like, living their lives, like, you know? Like, how do you actually, like, kind of meaningfully change things? I don't know. Just disorienting everything, putting things into disarray. And that's why I think it's interesting, though, where, like, people say that, like, like Joe Biden, like, is, like, or, like, the Demo- like the moderate Democrat position is, like, the incremental change, where, like, the reality is, I think, um, someone, like, a more progressive Democrat is really speaking about like the incremental change, like (laughs) providing further like safety nets and protections for people, um, people who are struggling. And then from there being able to do more to create a more equitable society. But we can't even get to like there. Yeah. So like, I don't know, how can you think that there's any hope no, that's pretty dramatic. How can you think that there's like, um, yeah, that it's like salvageable when like it doesn't even want to change? So wait, you, you, you don't think that like in a situation where policies like the ones that Bernie Sanders has or policies like the ones that Elizabeth Warren had, like you don't think that that would, maybe that, of course, that, I don't think that would fix like the nature of capitalism perhaps, mm-hmm. but don't you think that would, I certainly think it would make a lot of changes, but I don't think that's the end. 
You don't think that's the end? Yeah. What is the end? Or is it, you know, it's okay if you don't know, obviously, but like, what yeah, do you I don't mean? know. But I mean, like, you can't just like, the idea is that like, you can't just like scrap it all. You have to like create something that kind of makes things as little, as like not shitty as possible, right? Without destabilizing everything for everyone. Um, because yeah, you just have to do that. Um, and so like, you'd like Bernie Sanders, if like Bernie Sanders became president and everyone got Medicare for all, public education become free, became free, all that stuff, like that, that won't suddenly like resolve everything and yeah. like make like yeah like people will still live in poverty like there will still be like homelessness and like all these things so like you have to do kind of more than that beyond you're kind of like I think like the end goal is to create like a society and then obviously like a world where everybody has like the opportunity to live like a um I'm trying to think of a word that like is not like a philosopher word. Um, a life where they have like a greater sense of control mm. and freedom and autonomy. If like you live now and you like are kind of, you either feel like you need to pursue a certain line of work because that's what you need to do to kind of support yourself. Or if like, not even like pursue a certain line of work, but just have like a certain job because you need to make money to put food on the plate, to put like a roof over your head, or you need to like do like two or three jobs. And like, like that's kind of, you don't have um, the freedom that in my opinion, you deserve. Yeah, I really agree with you. I hope, I hope automation makes that better. <laughs> maybe I mean, like the thing is like i think that um people are very optimistic about automation mm -hmm. but i think you have to kind of introduce the correct policies with it or else it becomes dystopian and not utopian mm -hmm. like, like well, if you have like if you have like if automation like really like picks up mm -hmm. and you don't have a universal basic income you just yeah. have unemployed people then yeah it's not good yeah or like you then you have the wealth like circulating in even an even smaller smaller group yeah and you just kind of leave them outside you're just like leaving people outside of the economy on the whole which yeah. is but that's terrible. the trend already really that's like what's been happening i mean like wealth is becoming more and more concentrated country mm -hmm. damn talking about capitalism always makes me depressed <laughs> i hope i didn't um i hope i didn't like upset you with the elizabeth warren <laughs> no 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 i think i mean because i still think like i mean she's sim she similarly believes like i mean her regulation or the regulation she was talking about was not just about um like benefits or things like that i think they're they're like I mean, I don't know all her policies off the top of my head, but they're they're concrete, like economic stuff in terms of. She had a plan. Uh, yeah, she had a plan. I don't know. I don't know what her plan is. I'm not gonna try and front, but <laughs> I it. <laughs> um. But I don't think you 
or her are that different off. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. um, I think, well, actually, I don't know. Now I don't know what I think. Okay, so the, what is the exploitive part of capitalism? It's that whenever somebody's working for you, you cannot pay them what they actually made for you or what they actually value because then you wouldn't make a profit, right? Like somebody has to, the profit part, right? Well, that and then also the fact that people are, I think, well, depending on the country, like mm-hmm. American capitalism, I think is exploitative in the sense that like people, like people's labor rights aren't protected. They aren't, like a lot of people don't have access to healthcare, like off, like healthcare in and of itself is tied to your employment. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are all these like factors that I think that make it exploit exploitative wait so the fact that people don't have labor like labor protections right mm-hmm. people get underpaid wait so are but is the lack of labor protection something that's like that's not something that that is like that's not a necessary part of capitalism right yeah but i'm not i'm not saying that capitalism itself but like how capitalism is practiced here true i agree but I, what i'm trying to ask right now is like what what is it like at its core about capitalism, like the very notion of it. Yeah, the- that exploitative, because I feel like- Like the wages part. I mean, like, so like capitalism, I mean, like you were, t- you're the one who was talking about like how, like you can just like put words to things, right? Like, does it matter like the yeah. itself or like how it actually is put in practice? I feel like the criticism that people have all the time about communism is that it's never worked in like an actual country, which is yeah. one debatable, very debatable, and two, um, just like it, like there are a few places where it's been practiced, how it's written out in theory, mm-hmm. um, and you can say the exact same about capitalism. And capitalism behaves differently mm-hmm. in many different countries. Like capitalism mm. doesn't behave the same way it behaves here as it does in China, as in Germany, like as it does in South Africa. I guess like, what do you want to get out of that question? What I'm hoping to get out of that question is, well, like I'm asking like, has the cancer reached the organs or is the cancer, you know what I mean? That's what I want to consider because like if the problem is with the main idea, then you can say, all right, let's change things around the main idea so that the main idea that means the main idea can stay mm-hmm. well that's if what the, Warren believes yeah right so but I was just trying to think through it to myself like from from the block right like from the beginning like what is what is the crux of what capitalism is mm-hmm. and is that schema inherently exploitative mm-hmm. um and if not because I've, I've always been like because people are like I've always been of the opinion that reform like enough reform could change things but I've always wondered like if you reform something too much, kind of back to the Theseus ship idea, like, is it still capitalism? Um, at what point would like a lot of reform make it no longer capitalism? Um, and maybe that's like a little bit of an intellectual concern, but it's something I still think about, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think that's a very valid question to ask. And I don't know, I don't, I think, I think like we're in too deep personally all right what would you how would you summarize capitalism in one word not one word sorry a sentence oh okay (laughs) a system in which wealth is generated and unevenly distributed oh yeah that that makes it sound like bad (laughs) i don't mean to say that like with a with any like moral 
mm-hmm. moral um, like judgment. I think that that's kind of the baseline like definition of what it is. Why does it have to be unevenly distributed? Because that's like that's like what that's what like capitalism and capitalists do. Could you envision in, in, in the system of capitalism, you have to have a, you have to have capitalists and laborers you, and workers. You can't yeah. have not everyone can be a capitalist like it yeah. like fundamentally is a exclusionary system okay. in which like certain people are excluded from the wealth. And the I guess wealth. like we could like people could debate to what ex, like how what percentage of the population is excluded and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And like, how uneven is the distribution? But I think that the uneven distribution is inherent. I've never heard of that division between the capitalists and the workers, but it makes sense. Really? Yeah. I mean, did you read that somewhere? Yeah. Where did you read it? Karl Marx. Ah, Karl Marx. Okay, okay, okay. I've also I've never read that. I've never read um what is it called? Communist Manifesto. Yeah. I should though. I actually don't remember what I read it, but I've read like a few of his stuff for class. Mm. I've never read the Communist Manifesto for class. Oh, okay. I read like the German ideology, capital, some other That is interesting. Because I think I could imagine a system of capitalism wherein the workers, where it was only workers. Do you that's know what I'm saying? Socialism. Sorry? That's socialism. Oh, that's socialism. <laughs> What's the difference? Because because it doesn't have the division. It's when socialism is when workers own the means of production. I see, I see, I see. Socialism is when owners work the means, and so then they get to like equally sharing the profits of whatever they made. So now wealth is being divided up equally, mm-hmm. but wealth is still being generated. Mm-hmm. That sounds much better. <laughs> I think that it's kind of like. It is a sort of, um, in a way, I think it might be idealistic and utopian. And I personally believe utopian utopias are unattainable. So I don't know. Wait, but socialism is, is, is done. People do socialism. People do? Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, you have problems with the way it happens over there? Well, it's not, I mean, like there are still kind of, it's not done like exactly how it's written out in theory. And like, mm-hmm. there's still like, like, again, like, like in theory, like it does, I think it like, I think like countries do it well, like, um, and it works out for them um, sometimes, just like how capitalism doesn't work out for a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like there, like it's, it gets so like politically complex too. Um, when you think about like all of the in, like like the geopolitical interests and in, like countries and like what like their objectives are like and like how like Can you give me an example like of what of you're saying it's getting it gets complex with geopolitical yeah so basically in Bolivia like they just had um, an election um in which they just had an election in which the candidate for the socialist party overwhelmingly won after basically like a year of um like a like a military takeover because like kind of like backed by the u.s 
um, and like the U.S.'s own economic interests. Um, and yeah, um, and like you see that happen a lot just in history, like especially during the Cold War, that happened a lot. Um, and then like even thinking about like Cuba, how like there are strict sanctions on Cuba because they're a socialist country. Wait, so what happened? Wait, in Bolivia, the Socialist Party won after the coup, right? Yeah. Oh, so why, why does that make it complicated for them? Well, no, 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 I'm saying like, just the idea of like kind of foreign interest and intervention being present in a country. Because it's socialist? Yeah. Oh, okay. I agree that the, there's, op- so there's, op- you're just saying there's opposition generally to socialist countries. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess that does, that, I mean, that does definitely make it harder. But it does sound, it just sounds better for, or, I mean, I, I think like, if you're part of the you're part of the means, then you should be part of the ends, right? You should be part of the profit. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's not like the work like they definitely. I think workers definitely deserve a better share of of what they what they make. You know what I mean? It's not like the, it's really not like the CEOs do anything crazy. Like I think people need to need to <laughs> need a better idea of where value should be going. Yeah. Uh, um. But in any case, and then maybe that would even make people buy, like be more selective about who they hire. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're like if you have people or workers who are becoming part of the company or they're part of the people who make the company's decision, like mm-hmm. that's good. Um, this conversation actually does it reminds me of a class I took. We I took a modernist class and we spent a lot of time reading this book um, called Saint Petersburg. It was about Saint Petersburg. I forgot. Anyway, um, but we spent a lot of time in class talking about because, um, you know, St. Petersburg is like the most Western of the Russian cities. Right. Because it's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. And so the book itself was a lot about like the Westernization of that rest of cities and like dealing with capitalism and what kind of what capitalism means. I distinctly remember one rant that my teacher went on where he was talking about Derrida and he was talking about like yeah, and he was talking about like the idea like how capitalism like just the idea of capital you know what i mean like capital as in head like in latin you know what i mean yeah and looking out and the ability for and like the resonances that has with hierarchy um the resonances it has with the kind of leadership we often espouse single person one person guiding the entire ship um one person at the head one person at the helm looking forward prospecting um and that's kind of at odds with the other, like with socialism, where you have like collaboration, group-led, uh, group-led enterprises. Um, and it just kind of shows you the difference in dichotomy we have in our ideals. Um, yeah. Maybe with, like a synthesis of the two, or just like to maybe just shift the balance a little bit. I mean, and there are, it's interesting, like there are, especially like in Western Europe, like countries that, um, like obviously they're westernized, like they're, they're the originators of it, of westernism, westernization and capitalism and all this, but they like interestingly mix capitalism and socialist policies, like wherein like there is like a much more extensive safety net um, there than there is in the United States. Like fewer things are like kind of privatized and like things are seen more as um, like certain like institutions and parts of the country, I guess you could say, are seen more as kind of like 
a collective interest rather than an individual one. And I think in like, specifically in our country, everything is meant to be individualized because everything or people would like for everything to be privatized. Where does that start out? Like in our country's history, this this obsession with individual freedoms and whatever. Well, I mean, that's what, that's the basis of the American Revolution. That's like what we're taught in elementary school. That the basis of it was individual freedoms, freedom from taxation. Yeah, <laughs> taxation without um, representation is the right. life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which was mm-hmm. originally life, liberty, and uh, property. Oh, uh, so it comes back to slaves, really? Yeah, <laughs> slavery and land and justifying ownership over land that was that belonged to Native Americans. Yeah, I remember when I when I was in our history class, we would talk about property and the obsession with property, mm-hmm. uh, especially as a reaction to um, well, just like just as a reaction to Native Americans and wanting to like assert ownership of them. Exactly what you're talking about too. Just like um, John Locke was big into that he was big into what property yeah the idea of property and like kind of justifying the seizure of native american land it's so interesting to to think of a time before property was such a um i guess a big deal um (laughs) (laughs) like i don't know i'm not sure if i could i could think about it now because so much of the land around me is owned if not by me then by somebody else or by somebody else or by somebody else actually none of it by me i don't know why i said that <laughs> um i think it'd, it'd be such a radically different environment if i felt like the gov like if the government owned the land for example like in singapore or something or if or like if it was collectively owned you know what i mean yeah Mm-hmm. I'll be very I think that would also ground me in a much different way like you know like I kind of feel like I could go anywhere it doesn't matter because I'll just buy the land wherever I go right but like if this was my land truly then I would have I would have a different perspective on it I feel like um conservatives and libertarians always make the argument that when like things are yours you like take better care of them but mm-hmm. I feel like that's like I feel like a very narrow-minded view about like the way people think and I think that it's like a specifically Western mode of thought in which like you can, you can only see value in things that exclusive or like value in things for yourself in things that exclusively belong to you. And you don't kind of see any responsibility. Or, yeah. And you don't feel any sort of connection to what you share with others. That's why we have a lot of the problems we have today. <laughs> Thank you for summing it up, Dr. Garth. <laughs> You're welcome. No, it's so true though. It's such a selfish way to think, um, to think like you can only, you can only pr- get happiness from the things you own yourself, you know, like I think there there's a lot to be learned about like finding happiness, just like in the fact that something exists and is in good condition versus like whether or not you have it. But that's interesting. I would be very interested to know well, for other countries, well, if, if it's our history of Native Americans and wanting to assert control or like certain, like, I just, just like having a way of, of taking their land, you're inventing the idea of our land so we, we can keep them off their land. And, uh, and that's kind of the reason why we have a different relationship with property than other countries. Mm-hmm. And that leads to an effect with individual freedoms, which 
ultimately leads to shit where you have people with machine guns telling to trying to kidnap governor whitaker so like deep into like the psychology of like americans and like like kind of just like how we go about and like everything we do exactly all this individualism like and to what end you know what i mean I mean, I feel like other countries have to have other things that they are emphasizing within their own economics. Um, <laughs> with, well, you know, like in reaction to other things, I'd be interested to see like what, like just this, maybe just the social economic story of other countries as well. Then you can see the possibilities. And France is like very, very, very far from perfect. They have like a whole set of like issues. Um, with their colonial past. But what I thought was so interesting about France is that like all of like these beautiful museums, um, like the Louvre and like the Picasso Museum and the Rodin Museum, they all used to be like the homes of like very rich people mm. for the revolution. And then they became property of the state. <laughs> and now like they're things that like everyone can enjoy. That is nice. I think one one argument that's often brought up to me when I talk to people about trying to about like more publicized property, I think people worry. It's ultimately a worry about production, but people worry that people won't work as hard, right? Like, yeah. like oh, if I don't end up, if I'm not able to keep what I what I earn, why should I go about earning anything or making anything? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to those people? What do you say like, to that? That who is who is saying this, and what are they, what are they doing? That what pro, what what production are they doing to earn? Like, well, I don't know. I think they're saying it more. Maybe not so. Maybe not about themselves in particular. But they're saying like, in a world where there's no where like you know you might not keep the stuff that you make. Um, what incentive will there be for like? I mean, I'm just gonna pick an example for them. Like, will there be for Mark Zuckerberg to make Facebook, for example, or something like, or, or you know, like billionaires to create the things that they've created that have helped our lives, and like made our lives better. Like, will people will people still be trying to innovate if they aren't able to get as much out of it? They have like incomprehensible amounts of money. Like, mm-hmm. I like can't understand how much money they have. And so I feel like there's got to be like an amount that would be satisfying. Like it doesn't have to be like, oh, I have this idea and I have the possibility to have more than anyone else. Like you would just be like, I have this idea and I have the opportunity to do really, really well for myself. Mm -hmm. But like, I just don't understand why you would want to kind of just like hoard all of that well some people just like doing that you know what i mean yeah (laughs) i think like i think that's kind of fucked up it might be fucked up but it makes sense i feel like psychology i know it makes sense but like Mm -hmm. do you think that will really disincentivize someone from innovating i think may it might disincentivize some people if they know that they I think we forget that a lot of like innovations in the past did come from like state sponsored activities. 
Mm. It wasn't a private company that sent people to the moon. That's facts. <laughs> that's facts. That's a good point. I've never thought about it that way. To the extent that the state can like kind of throw its weight behind different projects and set innovation going where it wants to go. I mean, that's like the whole the idea behind the New Deal, hopeful and behind like and I think should be applied to our current situation. I mean, honestly, I like just to answer your other point about whether or not you think it actually would, I think it actually would affect innovation. I don't think people start out trying to get incomp incomprehensible amounts of money. I think they start out getting a little bit of money and then they get used to the money they have. And then it's only like worth it if they get more. Do you know what I mean? I think humans are just likely to get uh, used to what they Like a lot of the quote unquote innovations that like, for example, Facebook has made has been just like ways to exploit people's data. It's not like they're like changing the way we like Facebook at its like onset, like was like very revolutionary, yeah. like kind of since then it's kind of tapered in terms of like or plateaued in its innovation. Yeah. But I don't think that's the that's the truth. That's the case for all companies. Or, I guess the question would be whether that's true the case for a lot of companies. I think Amazon is for sure innovative, or maybe not innovative, or for sure innovative in its business model to some extent, and it's in its efficiency. That's def it's definitely exploitative, but that is something like it does that in a way that no company is doing, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like they're innovating in ways to extract the most value <laughs> of their workers. True, but that is their incentive more so than it is just to make something totally new or something totally game changing. Exactly. So, yeah. if that's the incentive already, is that innovation? Is that the is that the innovation we want? Mm, maybe not. But I wonder how how would you incentivize something else? Like, how could you incentivize like true innovation? another superpower existing and us feeling like we need to <laughs> so pouring a lot of state resources into that said innovation <laughs> well there's china like china's a space race yeah but i mean that's not even a great example because that money could have been used to help people who were starving at home i guess <laughs> i guess <laughs> <laughs> But we wouldn't have our flag on the moon, Chris. The countries will like fund what they value. A lot of other countries, their governments like fund movies. The US Department of Defense funds movies. Like oh. really? Yeah, every Marvel movie. Wait, wait. Uh, really? Yeah. Why? <laughs> How is that defending our nation? Um, that's a whole other thing. Okay. Um, yeah. But basically, it, um, it's all part of the military-industrial complex. The Marvel movies? Yeah. You tell me, Endgame is contributing to the Endgame? Yeah. <laughs> that's terrible. Wow. Yeah, I, I do think governments will ultimately fund what they care about or what they can get things out of. I'm trying to think like what's been like 
like what has been like the last like great innovation like probably the iphone right i was thinking that honestly yeah and that ruined our lives so <laughs> i don't know the iphone did not ruin my life bro <laughs> speak for yourself change the way our brains are supposed to work that's possible <laughs> but i like the iphone man i can I face it too iPhones and laptops really, I think, have definitely changed. Have been one of the, the biggest innovations recently. I, yeah, I wonder if they of well, we wouldn't get, at least without um, without capitalism, we can get all the shitty reboots, perhaps <laughs> the iPhone twelve, yeah, whatever else. No, yeah, I think a lot of uh, movies end up being about capitalism. A lot of books end up being about capitalism in one way or another, but that's just because it like permeates through everything. Integral part of our lives. Are you thinking of any movies in particular? I think in a lot of movies I can like find like connections. Like, well, what's his, a lot of what's his name's movies, Martin Scorsese's movies are about capitalism. Another movie I was thinking of that I watched last fall with Brad Pitt called Ad Astra. There's this part where basically like he goes to the moon and they've colonized the moon mm -hmm. and there's like a subway. He was complaining about how like humans have to like, humans like basically ruin everything <laughs> with their consumerist habits. Mm -hmm. But one thing's for certain, I guess we can't go straight backwards. So whatever we do, we have to accommodate the shit we've done in the past, I think. What's his name? Not to bring him up again, but Karl Marx said mm -hmm. that capitalism was a necessary step in the ultimate progression towards communism. But it doesn't really seem like it's an intermediary step here. It seems like it's the, the end game. <laughs> I agree with you because it does not seem good, but <laughs> <laughs> I always want to be one of those like, yeah, how can you know? Life is long. Oh, what's it called? Have you seen Sorry to Bother You? Yeah, dude. That was very, that was very explicitly about capitalism. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He came to uh, Hopkins, actually, and he, he gave him a talk about capitalism. It was really interesting. Riley? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Like, he, he barely talked about the movie. He was just talking about capitalism. That's how it was. <laughs> but yeah, that was for sure very, very explicitly about capitalism. And even more so about, like, an individual, maybe not striving to make change. Oh, well, at first he was striving to change. But, like, seeing how... And he you know, got corrupted. Yeah, he got, he got corrupted, for sure. He got messed up. I think that happens to a lot of people, too. Who are like, oh, I'm going to change things from the inside. I'm going to change investment banking. <laughs> yeah it's a i mean investment but i feel like investment banking is definitely going to always be the way it is unless you're like an outside person but that i think is why this conversation was felt so urgent to me or integral like we're people we're young people we are about to enter the system if we you wouldn't consider us to already be inside of it like <laughs> are are we gonna make change or are we just gonna you know get turned into horses <laughs> yeah i don't have an answer well do you have faith in your own ability to not be corrupted 
so the interesting thing is I think that like because I think like the outlook is so bleak we kind mm-hmm. of have to find ways on an individual level mm-hmm. to do things that align with kind of what we want for ourselves and what we want for the world and for others around us and maybe that is maybe that even in and of itself is like a pretty naive outlook but yeah you're saying that on an individual level you think people should do i know that there are certain paths i can't pursue in like good conscience and then others i can and it just comes down to like me deciding what i think is like the right thing to do and so you you'd only pursue paths where well do you do you feel like even the paths that you think you can pursue in good conscience there's a danger of you being corrupted or it yeah yeah i think that's what i was yeah getting at there's no danger or there's a danger there is there is even in the ones that you choose yeah but is it less so than the ones that you wouldn't choose yeah that's the idea you gotta do like what you think is you gotta do the right thing (laughs) you gotta (laughs) do the right thing okay Mm, that's very hard i'm not sure what i believe personally I have a lot of abstract ideals. I don't know how how much how well they would stand up in the cold, harsh light of day. I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, like having like a North Star, like understanding what your end goal is, those kinds of things. But I mean, I, I've read enough stories and watched enough movies to know this niggas get shit fucked up sometimes. But <laughs> but people people get stuff messed up sometimes, even when they have good intentions. Yeah, exactly. I think like, at the end of the day, all you all you have are your intentions and your ability to reflect on what you've done in the past. What I mean, but I know that like for me personally, like like investment banking or like something like that is not um, for me. And that's because of the effect it has, or is it just because personally you don't like the the idea? Um, the effect it has, and also it's just not. And this is like an, like an entirely like different line of thinking but it's just not like I wouldn't want even if it pays well Mm -hmm. um, I make good money from it it's just not something I would very find very interesting so like even if I could do it I wouldn't want to but I'm also lucky enough to kind of be in a position of privilege where I can make that decision yeah I mean it's such a good thing to be able to do what you think you will probably be interested in I feel like I mean that's what you were saying earlier that you kind of feel like that's the right that everybody should have like to be able to do things that actually kind of fulfill their, you know, their human potential. Yeah. Things that are fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'm sure there are actually people who feel fulfilled. Yes, exactly. To lead a fulfilling life. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want for myself too. But you also yeah. have to like figure out what it is you think will give you that fulfilling life, which is what I think is the harder thing. That's very hard. It's so difficult. <laughs> But everyone, There's no manual. everyone should have the opportunity to face that challenging front. Do you have any any last comments? I thought this was a was a fruitful conversation. Would you say mm-hmm. so? I learned a lot. That's good. <laughs> about about what? <laughs> about socialism. I have things I'm gonna start looking up. My friend recently asked me if I wanted to join the Democratic Socialist Association or something like that. The DSA. And I told 
DSA, yeah. And I told her I would look at their website. And I didn't really look at their website. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now I will because I'm just interested. I also did a paper in high school on Eugene Debs, but really? a lot of it was done kind of like in a fury. So like, I don't really remember. I just, I just like pulled books and I pulled quotes and I was just like, Rah. all I really know is he was like one of the first major socialist cat, like candidates in America to like gain or like a good portion of votes. And then I think they killed him or no, they put him in prison, something. They did some shit to him. Yeah. But since then, I think like, I mean, I, I have a lot of hope for socialism in, in politics actually. That's good. So we'll see. I'm so, kind of surprised that you didn't, I don't know, like know more about socialism. I mean, I've I've obviously heard the phrase people saying like, workers need to control the means of production before. <laughs> like I've heard that phrase before, but I'm not, I don't think I ever put two and two together mm-hmm. or like, I think I just assumed, I think when I was thinking what cap of what capitalism was, I just thought of capitalism as a system where people buy and sell things freely. That was my understanding. So I didn't necessarily think there was a, a division between, between like, there has to be necessarily a division between people who own the means of production and people who work, who actually are in it. I was just thinking capitalism system where I can sell things to you and you can sell. I was thinking more like free market. That's what I always emphasized in my mind. And like communism is such a where like there's not a free market. There's not like free flow of trade. Yeah. That's fair. Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, thank you out there for listening. <laughs> <laughs> it is so great to hear or just to know that you guys are out there. It's actually very interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, I really encourage you guys, if you have any thoughts, you have more things that I can learn um or chris could learn i'm just like so stupid so like send me anything honestly um <laughs> origami brain uh fold at gmail.com it's origami brain fold at gmail.com <laughs> oh, okay. um, <laughs> oh R- I- anyway um i spelled yeah. it wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah fuck anyway yeah, um, there's much i can learn as well so yeah anyway um thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time
Pick your poison, tell me what you do. Everybody go respect the shooter. But the one in front of the gun lives forever. The one in front of the gun forever. And I've been hustling all